Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Varsity Voice. My name is Noah Daou, and I have a great conversation with Patrick Farias, who is a former track athlete at McGill University. He had to overcome a lot of incredible things, and we have a great conversation about dealing with injury and self-doubt and how to overcome, and we talk about positivity, optimism, and how to live your life in a positive way. So here's our conversation. I hope you really enjoy it, and I'll let Patrick take you from here. All right, Pat, tell me, uh, tell me about your track season this year. If you could just put like a nice little bow on it and just kind of summarize it for everybody. Um, if I were to summarize this season, to be honest, I'd have to say um, incomplete. Incomplete because uh, near the end of the season, I tore my hamstring. So I was a little disappointed because coming into it, I was in really great shape, probably running some of the best times I had ever ran. I can't imagine you not being in good shape. <laughs> ah, thank you. I appreciate it. But <laughs> it, it happens. It happens, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, I always, always try, obviously, to be in the best shape possible. And coming off the summer season, I had a really great summer season, ended it with a lot of personal bests, came to the fall season to start off the varsity year. Training was going great leading the team in practice and everything. Mm-hmm. Season of competition started well, um, hit some PBs on my very first meet. Mm-hmm. And then as it got on, I, I got a little tweak in my hamstring and I was like, oh, it's okay. I, I can run through it. I can run through it. And then eventually it just, it actually like tore in me on a race. Um, so it, it didn't end too well. I actually finished the race, but <laughs> with a pretty bad time. And you know, f- for the rest of the season, it just never recovered. I tried to run again the week after. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the time frame we're talking right now? Like what what month of the season? Like what um, month this of the happened year? in January, and our season pretty much ends in February. Yeah. First week of March is is nationals, and if you haven't qualified, then your season's over by like the end of February. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't even compete in uh, provincials ha- because had you were you qualifying for provincials though I with was. your times? Yeah, yeah because the way it works in track. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if you qualify for like, if you get a time in your first meet, you're already set to go, exactly. right? So it's, it's just about the time. Exactly. You could run your... And exactly that's exactly what I did. I hit my best times the very first meet and then basically didn't have to run if I wanted uh, the rest of the season. But because I'm, you know, a little crazy and I was like, I want to do better, I want to do better, I uh, kept pushing it to the point where I overdid it and came to provincial championships unable to run uh, because of the hamstring. And so, yeah, it was a little incomplete in that sense. But, uh, you know, you always learn from it, always take away a learning experience from whatever situation, and hopefully, hopefully it'll be better before, before the summer season. Yeah, I hope so, man. I hope, I hope the recovery's going well. And, I appreciate it. It you is. Know, Thank you. Normally, when we have people on here, we like to ask them how they got into their sport. And normally, I would ask you, how'd you get into track? But track wasn't your first sport. Tell, tell every, for those who don't know, gymnastics was your first sport. That's right. So tell everybody how you got into gymnastics. Basically, when I was very young, I was about six years old. And I was watching at the time the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Yeah, Sydney 2000 Olympics. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my grandma and grandpa and seeing the men's artistic gymnastics and just watching what they were doing and seeing like these physical specimens, just how how fit they were, the skills they were doing. It was just mind blowing. And I remember looking at the TV and just being like, man, I want to do that. Like at the time, Kyle Schufelt was Canada's top gymnast and he actually won gold in the men's all-around, I believe. If not, for sure on the men's floor, I believe he won the all-around as well. And I was like, man, like, I want to do that. Like, I want to be a pro athlete. Even before that, really, I knew I wanted to be a pro athlete. Being uh, from the Azores, from San Miguel, uh, you know, soccer is a big thing, right? It's it's part of Portugal. So 
when I was young, Figo was the captain before Ronaldo came around. And when I was about four or five, I can remember saying, oh, I want to be, as every Portuguese little boy, you know, I, I want to be the next Figo. I want to be the next Ronaldo. I want to, you know, be that, that superstar for the team. But when I saw gymnastics at six, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. I fell in love with it. So what... So you, you specified artistic gymnastics. Can you explain a little bit more what that is? Definitely. So a lot of people get confused when they hear artistic gymnastics because they start to think, the, you know, what the, what's the artistic part? And there's two types of gymnastics. There's artistic gymnastics and rhythmic gymnastics. Rhythmic gymnastics is what you see with the ribbon, the ball. It's all floor exercises. Artistic gymnastics is the classic, what everyone just knows as simple gymnastics. Uh, it includes for the men six events and for the women four events. For the men, it's rings, parallel bars, high bar, vault, floor, and pommel horse. Um, so I, I was an all-arounder. I participated in all six events. Everyone, of course, has their preferences, their favorites, and what they're just naturally a bit better at. And my personal best event was uh, high bar. But of course, my favorite was the one I fell in love with watching at six, the rings. That's so crazy that you already, like at six years old, your mind was, I'm doing this. Like yeah. this, I already, I already know what I want to do. So I'm assuming once you were six, you started competing and you begged your parents or your, it was your grandparents, right? Yeah, it was my grandparents. So you begged your grandparents like, got to put me in, put me in gymnastics, put me in gymnastics. So how did you, how did you go from watching them on TV to now so, competing? Uh, I have to thank my grandparents a lot for it because they had put me in then what was kind of, you know, I, I, again, I, I wanted to do it, but I, of course, at six years old, you don't really know what's necessary to make it and what are the steps you got to take. And, and at the same time, my grandparents didn't either, right? Because like no one in my family was, was into it or anything. So they had put me into a little recreational club where, you know, you go maybe once, twice a week and, and you do, like, in quotation, gymnastics. You know, you kind of play in the foam pit, play on the trampolines, and, you know, you, you learn the basics, how to, how to do cartwheels and handstands. And um, with a very short time there, the coaches there noticed, like, hey, like, you got some potential. Uh, let's, let, let's put you into competitive, you know, and let's just see what you can do. In some little, like, local competitions. So entered those, did well. Uh, and then eventually at this place I was at, they said, well, look, you know, gymnastics is a very um, female dominant sport in North America. It's not very big for the men. So there's not many clubs that specialize in men's artistic gymnastics. So they said, hey, look, we're sorry, Pat. I was maybe, maybe around eight at this point. And they said, you've gotten too advanced for us here. You go to this club. Like they have better coaches there. They'll be able to help you because we only do women. And they had very competitive women at this place. Um, but for the men's side, they just didn't really have anyone to coach the men's and they didn't even have the proper events for men's. Um, so I went to this other club and, and was there for a little bit. I uh, started training there and, you know, came in and they're like, okay, we'll start you in kind of the low levels, work your way up, do, do some more competitions. And as it got better, uh, just worked my way up to different clubs. So Pat, when would you say you knew you were good at gymnastics? Because you're telling us that, you know, your coaches told you that you were too good, but when did you know... I mean, we're talking at a young age. You said eight years old, right? Yeah. So when did you know yourself that you're like, okay, I, I can do this. I can, I can do something um, with gymnastics. That's a great question. So like, as you said, like gymnastics is a very young game. So I feel a lot of gymnasts, you don't quite know yourself. You just really trust your coach because you're young as a gymnast. It's not like many other sports where you can have a career, you know, your career kind of can start at 20. As a gymnast, your career ends around 20. It's yeah. On the women's side, even younger. Yeah, right. right. You, you, told me, you told me in previous conversations that the gymnast prime is between like 18 and 23, right? Yeah, exactly. I would put that as, I'd mark that as like, for a men's gymnast, that's pretty much prime time. Um, and women being even shorter from about 16 to 20. Yeah. But I guess, I guess my question, if I can pose it a different way, is when did you start to see yourself differentiating from your, your peers? When did you start to notice like, oh, 
I'm really freaking good at the high bar. When, when did that kind of come to your head? To be honest, again, it was more, not so much my gymnastics athletic ability that said, hey, I, I think I can do this. I think I'm better than everyone else in that sense. It was just um, physically I knew I, I would show up to training and I would be, you know, at the age six, seven, eight, and we would do conditioning. And I would do my conditioning with the coach instead of the other kids. So I'd be like climbing, you know, we'd have like the vertical rope and climbing with no legs and stuff like that. And that's kind of when I realized like, hey, like I, I'm decently fit. Like this is, so at a young age, I realized like I'm more physically fit or more, maybe just more willing to push myself than the other kids. And I guess around the age of eight, I kind of realized like, hey, I can push myself. So it's, it's funny because I think when people would see your name on the, appearing on this podcast, they were going to expect you to talk about track. But I don't think a lot of people know that you played gymnastics and football primarily. So what, so what happened? What pushed you into track? Um, how I ended up in track was actually a, a bit of a fluke accident. Um, so like I said, uh, in, hi- in high school and elementary school, I started getting into um, American football and started playing that around 11. And it got into a bit of a conflict with gymnastics. Um, at a point where, you know, I was doing both football and gymnastics. Gymnastics coaches typically are very, very stern, you know, don't take any nonsense, and they didn't like me playing football. So I had a bit of a rough patch going through it, but made it work and played the both sports, football and gymnastics, all through high school and into CGIP. And then when I got to CGIP, um, I had to make the choice. At that point, I was already at a quite advanced level of gymnastics. I was representing provincial teams and going for a national team. Um, and meanwhile during all this time, I had a lot of injuries. Being a smaller guy playing American football, you know, I, I tried to make up for it by hitting with my head. Like I love every... that you specify American <laughs> football too. You know? Primarily, <laughs> you know, North American audience here. You're, you're always saying American football. I like that. <laughs> so, no, sorry. it's good. It's Force good. Have it. Sorry, continue. Um, you know, my, my Portuguese roots would kill me if I were to call it just football. football. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, a lot of injuries and eventually bad injury ended my career as a gymnast. And... A long story how I ended up into track. No, I'd like to actually go into that. Um, so, so what was this injury? Can you talk? A, can you describe it a little bit? For sure. So uh, it was uh, actually a traumatic brain injury. Um, having already given up football due to too many concussions, and knowing I had to choose one of the other sports in order to make that dream come true that like I wanted to be a pro athlete, I wanted to represent my country and go to the Olympics. I figured, you know what? Like football's not the one suited for me. I'm going to focus on gymnastics. At the same time, that choice was helped to be made by the fact that I knew I had already had a lot of concussions and it wasn't a great thing to be messing around with. So I committed fully to gymnastics, did gymnastics only for a few years uh, while I was at CJEP. And then, you know, I had, uh, was earning my spot going, trying to, you know, make it to the national team. I was trying to compete uh, internationally. I had made it down to some competitions in, in Mexico and everything. And then, um, unfortunately, one day in training, on ironically my best event, uh, I had a bad accident and ended up with a really bad uh, concussion that resulted in actually a, a bruise on my occipital lobe, uh, broke my neck, dislocated some vertebrae, and spent the next two years after that in traumatic brain injury rehab. It's insane that you even are competing again. Like the fact that you were able to go navigate this injury and, and find the strength to walk and, and learn to talk again, as you, as you told me in previous conversations. But uh, I want you to take us through a little bit like the emotions of when the injury happens immediately because you described to me previously some really interesting feelings that like 
per, like put everything into like this weird context. So like, so as soon as you fall down, what is your first reaction? My very first reaction, as soon as I f- like realized I fell and had the big hit, uh, was I couldn't see. And I remember lying there and trying to like kind of touch my eyes, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm awake, but I can't see. Like I'm pretty sure my eyes are open, but I can't see. And then kind of go into a bit of a panic and be like, you know, I, my coaches and friends were around and they were like, what, what's going on? And I was like, I can't see, I can't see. Start panicking, like, okay, okay, don't move, stay calm, all this stuff. Uh, luckily, my vision came back on its own after about probably anywhere from like 15 to 20 minutes. I started to see colors again. I, I remember, you know, the, the, um, the mats that were all around me were green. So I, I started seeing green and then I remember my friend's shorts were red and I saw red. And then slowly, slowly from blurriness, it kind of just came back. Uh, the doctors had explained this to me as just, you know, I, I had hit my occipital lobe so hard that resulted in the bruise um, that it just kind of fuzzied my vision for a bit. And after that time that, you know, seemed like forever in the moment, it was only a matter of minutes. Um, I remember ha- lying there and hearing my friend somewhere over me and him saying, Pat, are you good? And at that moment, my vision was coming back and I was like, oh, like I'm good. What a blessing, I can see, like, everything's okay now. And trying to turn to go give him a high five and then realizing, wait a minute, I can't really turn, like, I, I can't move properly, like, something's not right. And so by that point, you know, ambulance came and I went to the emergency room. Uh, they did the whole neck brace, backboard, go through all the scans, um, and then came out with, hey, you know, like, you, you got some, some dislocated, like, uh, shifted and rotated vertebrae, there's some fractures, there's some, what looks like it could be nerve damage and, you know, Needless to say, concussion <laughs> um, that that later you know developed further and so after all that happens, they put they put you into this rehab facility, right? Which you which you will spend two years learning to basically walk and talk again. Yeah. So what what is your mindset like once the injury happens and you learn you have to spend time in this rehab facility? My very first instinct uh, was I remember lying in the bed neck board, a neck brace, backboard on. So basically all you can see is up. You can only see whatever comes directly in front of your face. And I, of course, remember seeing the doctors come right over and, you know, basically tell me like, oh, you're lucky, uh, but hey, like heads up, your athletic career is done. Um, and I just remember being angry and, and basically telling the doctors to piss off. Like, you don't know what's going on here. Like, I'm going to the Olympics. I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. Uh, sure, thanks. Glad to hear I was lucky, but like, I got, I got places to be. <laughs> Um, so that's how it started. And then, um, yeah, like a lot, there was a lot of, uh, residual, uh, well, a lot of various effects that came from, from how I hit my head. Cause of course, you know, like with concussions, you're, I, I had damaged, I got hit in the back of my head and at the same time, the front ends up getting damages from the whiplash. So, um, one of the doctors actually had ended up writing uh, a paper as a case study on my my case, yeah, because all the symptoms that I had, you know, couldn't remember things, couldn't focus to the point where, like, I, I couldn't speak a proper sentence, um, couldn't, uh, you know, I was very angry, stuff like this. And when they would do scans of my brain, they would see, like, well, yeah, every, everything you're saying, we see that in the brain wavelengths of your brain. Like, there, you have beta waves where there should be alpha waves and, you know, gamma where there should be whatever kind of thing. And I was just like, well, cool. So, like, can we fix it so I can get back to the gym <laughs> kind of thing? And, uh, and then, you know, so from there, uh, it gradually progressed to doing, starting physio. Are you spending two years solid so you don't get to leave the facility? Or no, are you no. just coming and going? Uh, so there was a period where I was an inpatient, where I couldn't leave, uh, which lasted 
uh, a few weeks to like months. To the, and then after that, like, you know, during that time, we have special treadmills and bikes where basically like on the treadmill, you're harnessed you're to the harnessed ceiling. You're harnessed up, yeah. So it's, like the, it's like the anti-gravity. Exactly, exactly. Right? So yeah. you, you can't fall because my balance was off and everything. And you basically just, you know, walk on the treadmill while you're harnessed to the ceiling. So nothing really can go wrong. Same thing with the bike. They kind of put you in this uh, stationary bike that's it's more like a recumbent bike. And you're, you're caged in. So again, like you can't really tip, tip over side to side and, and fall off. Um, you know, you go through all these. I had physio who would put like electrodes in my neck to try and reactivate the muscles in my neck that weren't working. Um, and, and yeah, I'll go through all those processes. And eventually I became an outpatient. And um, as an outpatient, I had to go back into the rehab three, at first four times a week, then three times a week. And then, you know, once a week, once a month until eventually the two years was up. Um, and on the very last day of rehab, uh, the doctors basically told me, okay, you know, like, the brain is a very tricky thing. Since the brain grows till it's 25, there's a very strong possibility that you might have a full recovery, but at the same time, we can't guarantee it. We most likely you'll have some residual effects. And I was like, okay, cool. So like, we're done here. And they're like, well, well, you know, like, well, what do you mean we're done here? Like, we're going to be following up. And I was like, yeah, but like, you know, I'm free to go. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, thanks. Have a good one. And one of the doctors actually, kind of as a joke, on my leaving paper, I signed it like a fancy signature, and I told him to keep that because one day it would be famous. <laughs> <laughs> Did they tell you that you would not walk again? Yeah, they told me that like many times. At the very beginning, like the very first night, you know, within 24 hours of it happening, they're like, yeah, like you're never going to play sports again. You're never going to be able to do anything again. And I was just like basically piss off. Like yeah. <laughs> I got places to be. I got places to go. You know, you know go. what's funny about that is – a lot of miraculous recovery stories will always feature a doctor saying, you're never going to walk again. It's like, it's honestly, at this point, I feel like it's a psychology trick that they play on athletes because they know they're wired to think, no, no I can do I'm this, no, I can do this, yeah. no, I can do this, you know? So, Definitely. I mean, it's, it's so funny. It's not, I mean, funny, not funny, but <laughs> it's, it's very interesting that they would say that to you. Definitely. It's true. Like, you hear so many times of all these great, like, athletes having recovery stories. Like, oh, yeah, doctor said he had five months to live, you know, he would never walk again, would never play again, and then, you know, they make it to the big leagues, to the pros. And to be honest, one of the things I kept telling myself the whole time I was in rehab was, you know, there's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot, like, for a while, I would just stare at the ceiling, right, because my neck is just braced in bed, and I was just looking up. And I remember thinking to myself over and over, there was two moments really that set it apart. Was one of them as I kept telling myself the story that CTV is going to play on me when I make it to the Olympics. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to inspire people. And that's, that's like, I'm going to make it through for this. You know, for anyone who ever in the future comes to a situation like this, they'll just like, you know, watch my documentary and, and they'll be like, I can do this. Like, he did it. I can do it. Uh, that was one of the motivations. And another thing was I just remember lying there one night and it was a, a weird feeling. It was just like, this rush of, I don't know what it was. It could have been the drugs I was on, but yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, uh, it could have been the adrenaline. And I was just like a real like acceptance, like I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. I'm going to return to sport. I'm going to make it big and I'm going to inspire somebody. And like, I'm going to make my dream come true no matter what. And from that moment on, I was just like, all right, like whatever we got to do, whatever physio, whatever rehab, we're doing it. Yeah. I'm going to get through it and, and I'll be back to gymnastics. Like in my, my mind, I was going back to gymnastics. Absolutely. You know, for someone to go through that, there's got to be periods where you're feeling down. Um, how did you navigate that? How did you f feel better about yourself when you were down? Um, uh, you're right. Like, it was honestly, like, a very rough time. It was, and it was, yeah, sure. as a gymnast, it was in my prime years. It happened, I literally turned 18 two days before the accident um, and got out of rehab at 20. So 18 to 20 is, like, you know, prime years as an That's athlete. your prime. Exactly. Yeah. 
So it was rough. Um, there was many times I was very angry, very frustrated. And, and to be honest, um, like I always try and avoid saying it, but there was a period where like they had put me on antidepressants. Uh, not so much just for to not be angry at everyone, but for the side effects it has on uh, head injuries. Uh, they can help with migraines and stuff like that. So they were like, oh, we'll use it for that. But hey, it has this side effect that maybe you'll be a little less angry at us. <laughs> um, at the same time, I was blessed to have a wonderful coach who was like a second father to me. And, and he sat with me so many times in rehab and, you know, talked to me about his stories and how he actually went through a similar thing. And, and all that kind of helped just keep positive and then coming out of it really put everything into perspective about the real blessings we have that, like, things we take for granted, just, like, being able to see, you know, like, we, we take it for such... And so uh, it helped. It, like you said, I was always kind of a positive guy, but it really got amplified. That helped me see the world in a different way and be even more positive and really just love life and appreciate every moment and appreciate everyone you meet. And yeah. You know, after going through all of this, I mean, and you, I mean you've been dragged across a mountain in, in terms of this injury, but um, is there always that constant fear of suffering another head injury when competing in your new sport? <laughs> uh, it's a good question. So... It's a good question and a difficult one to answer because, it, of course, it goes through different periods. When I first had the accident, realized this is really bad, but whatever. I got places to go. Like, I don't even have time to think about the severity. Like, I just got to get out of here, get back to work. So at first, I didn't think of the fear of it. Then, of course, when you kind of calm down a bit and you realize that you're like, man, like, I just, you start to believe the doctors a bit. Like, man, can, can I be able to go back to sport? Will I be able to do it? you know, that little bit of doubt. And then, you know, it comes back like, okay, no, I can do this. Um, and in my new sport in, in track, uh, when I came to it, <laughs> ironically, it started off in a position where it was at a risk for concussions, but I didn't want to say anything. Um, and I got to the point where there was a time I even contemplated like, okay, what sport can I do now? I, when I had finally this realized- This story is hilarious, <laughs> by the way. Uh, so, so basically, like I came out of rehab and I figured, I was like, all right, I'm back into being able to be physical. I can't really risk another concussion. Or, well, really, there's two ways I can look at it. I either have to go into a sport that really doesn't give a darn about concussions, and you can do whatever you want. So part of me contemplated going into MMA and start fighting because I figured, I was like, man, those guys must have so many head injuries. I'm really happy you didn't, by the way. <laughs> very happy you did I appreciate that. <laughs> I, looking back at it, I'm very happy I didn't make that, yeah. <laughs> that choice either. Um, but, you know, logic kicked in and I was like, no, like, let's go into something that really has no risk of injuries, or at least what I thought had no risk of, of head injuries. Um, so, of course, I went out on a limb, having never played any other sports, got to McGill. I basically just, so at, at the time, the reason I was also so persistent in rehab was I was hoping to go to the NCAA and had some offers to go to NCAA, um, which is why I was so persistent to, to get through the rehab because I wanted to fulfill the criteria I needed to do in order to be eligible. Uh, which ended up not happening, of course. I had to, couldn't do my sport anymore. So, uh, so I looked at the McGill, literally went online at McGill, looked at all the sports they had, and I was like, okay, can I do this one? No. Can I do this one? No. And then I, I was like, you know what? I think I can, you know, there's no risk of head injuries in baseball. There's no risk of head injuries in swimming. Nothing in rowing and, and nothing in track. So those four sports seem like the only sports really, you know, football, obviously, no. And, and soccer, you know, there's actually concussions and... Yeah. I was just like, okay, I, those are the like non-contact sports. Let me try those. So I sent a blind email to every single one of those coaches. <laughs> and uh, in the emails, I basically gave them a bit of a resume of my career as an athlete, what I had done, uh, what competitions I participated in, what teams I represented in both football uh, and gymnastics. 
and I just gave him a bit of rundown of, of my experience. But I made sure to exclude the injury. I just kind of made it sound in the email that, hey, like, this is what I do. Kind of looking for something new. Would I be able to try out? And, you know, I knew full well, like, I've never played any of these sports. Like, I'm just, I'm just desperate to get back in the sport. I just want to play something again. So what can I do? And all four coaches got back to me. And they were like, hey, like, you know, thanks for reaching out. Sure, sounds good. And they were all very open and very honest. They were like, you know what? You've never done it before. Thanks for letting us know. We appreciate the interest. And we'll be honest with you. Come out to tryouts. And like, if, if you have a chance, we'll try it. If we think you're no good at all, we'll tell you right away. We're not going to waste your time. You won't waste our time. And I was like, perfect, you know? So all the coaches answered. And this was, I got out of rehab um, in spring. About, I think it was around May. And the swimming rowing and baseball coaches all got back to me like yeah you know like uh, we have tryouts in august basically around when school starts so i was like okay cool i got the whole summer to prepare but the track coach answered and was right away he's like oh gymnast well yeah let's try you out at pole vaulting for sure oh no (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's right (laughs) so in pole vaulting right away the red bells went off i was like uh that doesn't seem like great for like no risk. Yeah, but it's that, it's that point where you're so excited that the coach is like, yeah, come. Like exactly. your skill set is going to translate and you're like. Oh. Exactly. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And he actually in the email said, yeah, can you come on Sunday? And this was at like, you know, I think it was maybe like a Friday. And I was like, uh, oof, like I, I can't, but like uh, next Sunday. And he's like, yeah, we, we train every Sunday to pole vaulters. Come next Sunday. So I was like, oh man, like I'm fresh out of rehab. Like I'm not in shape at all. So I, I start going. And at this point too, because of long stories, I was no longer allowed to return to the gymnastics gym for my own protection. Um, so I had nowhere to go train. So I basically went to city parks using like the kids' jungle gyms, the monkey bars, and just started running around the park and doing chin-ups and doing push-ups, trying to get some fitness back, just general fitness. And so, you know, I showed up to the pole vault and of course, luckily it started very slow. It basically started with general, like, let me see how you run. And of course I was not a great runner because gymnasts are not the best runner and I had <laughs> not ran in a long time. So, you know, they're like, okay, like, you know, you got like some natural, like athletic ability, like we're just going to correct it, go through this, go through this and kind of, you know, worked our way through. And then a few weeks of that. And then as we got to the point where it was ready to start pole vaulting, the coach started to realize like, wait, wait, something's not right. Like there's something, <laughs> something in the way you move with your neck and stuff doesn't seem good. So he's like, you know, you're not telling me something. And I was like, okay, I'll be honest. Like uh, I had a bad neck injury and a concussion. Like, he like, must've been you know, pissed he, when you told him. He was... Um, he's like, oh, he was kind of accepting at first. He was like, okay, like, well, cause uh, you make, you're making him liable at the same time. Right. Like, yeah. like, like he knows, he yeah. doesn't know that you shouldn't be out there. Right. Right. Yeah. Which at, at the time I didn't realize the severity of liability of, of athletics and yeah. universities and everything. So, so I was, you know, I was playing it down. I was like, ah, you know, concussion, everyone gets concussions. It's, you know, kind of, kind of small thing. So he's like, okay, okay, cool. And then next thing I knew, um, apparently Somehow he, I guess, I don't know if McGill coaches have access to McGill uh, files for like hospitals. So it was traumatic brain injury rehab because I was an athlete when it happened, even though I was not affiliated with McGill at all, had, was overseen by McGill, by doctors who run like, you know, the football and hockey teams. Uh, Dr. Bayless was a doctor who oversaw me Big shout out. Yeah. Big shout out. Dr. Dr. Bayless, man. She's, she's she's a hero. I love her. She's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So she was the one really overseeing most of my recovery. And I guess everything was kind of on record in the file there. And he happened to get a glimpse of it. He's like, wait a minute, you've not even ever passed a concussion test. 
And he's like, and you want to train? He's like, stop training. He's like, right now. And I was like, then I got real with him. And I was like, okay, coach, look, listen, like, here's the truth. Like, this is what happened. Yes, I'm sorry I didn't tell you the truth, but I'm just desperate to get back in a sport. And he understood. And he's like, look, I understand. But here's the thing. If you don't pass a basic concussion test, you're never going to be eligible to compete. He's like, stop training now. At this point, I guess we're maybe around July. And he's like, stop training now. When we come back in, you know, August, then we have the team medical exams. I want you to pass that medical exam. And then you'll be okay. Then you'll be on team. I was like, but coach, I won't be in shape if I stop training. He's like, don't worry about that. I know you have it in you to get back into shape. Just pass that concussion test. Be able to be eligible to clear because there was a note in my file that stated he will never do sports again. Yeah. And like, we need to kind of get over that before you can. That's a tough note to overlook. (laughs) Yeah. So he's like, you know, you got to kind of clear that before we let you compete for a varsity team. So I was like, okay, okay. So, you know, I I, sort of listened and sort of kept training on my own, but smartly. I, what I consider smart in the sense of yeah, no, yeah. no risk training, you know. Sure. Um, and then, you know, got to the other team tryouts. Um, and, of course, never played baseball in my life. Uh, had a bet going with my friends when I would get cut from the baseball team. Um, I secretly betted on myself for the third round, third, third day of, of practice, knowing that the first two days was fitness testing. Yeah, <laughs> you get through those. <laughs> That's it, just get through the basic fitness testing. And then as soon as they actually have to start your, throwing the balls yeah, and stuff. Yeah, as soon as they realize, you know, what's your baseball Man, knowledge. And they probably put too. you out in the outfield, eh? Absolutely, they do that? absolutely. Yeah? <laughs> go, go far, like, you're kind of quick. Go far in the backfield and just catch them. Yeah. And it started okay. I could catch a ball. But as soon as I was in the outfield with the ball, I had no idea Man, what to do with it. You got to throw it far. You got to throw it far. It's a long way. And there's a lot going on. You're like, yeah. this, I, I learned a new respect for baseball doing this because I learned, man, like each base has something going on. Somebody needs the ball somewhere. And people are just yelling for the ball and I had no idea where to throw it. Yeah. And I quickly got cut after that. It's, it's such a funny story, man. And I think, it, I think it's an interesting like segue into the next chapter of your athletic career. So... So what are your plans after McGill? Because you're graduating this year. So what are your plans after McGill? Um, so they were a little undecided. Um, but again, another side sport that had happened to come in was I was desperate to make it to the Olympics. And, you know, having done now my four years on track with McGill, um, I was like, okay, like, you know, time's ticking, time's ticking. I got to get to the next Olympics. Like, I'm getting up, like, you know, I'm 23 now. I don't know how much time I got left. I got to make sure I can make it happen. And so I signed up for the RBC training ground last year and, you know, did the opening condition, went well, made it to the finals, went to the, you know, there's regionals and provincials. So wait, what's, what sport are you talking about right now? <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually now uh, on skeleton. Wow. I'm, uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> uh, man. Which is not the greatest sport for a history of concussions. Yeah, no. But it's one where no <laughs> one's checking. So as long as wow. no one's checking, we're good. <laughs> Damn. So, how did, so what inspired, what, what got you into skeleton? And, you know, a lot of people always say, like, Skeleton versus luge. Like, how, how could you, how did you, why decide skeleton, especially with your, your history? I mean, you know, luge is, they're losers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, the thing is, um, you didn't make, I, you're not making a lot of luge friends in this podcast. Yeah. Sorry, forgive me, any losers out there. <laughs> um, so, luge, ironically, is a sport where you actually do start quite young in the sense that it's not quite as risky as skeleton bobsleigh. Mm-hmm. Um, so people will start doing luge when they are about 12, 14, and they'll develop their way up and develop the skills on how to drive the sled. And, and yeah, so you gotta, kinda, kinda gotta be in it at a decently young age. Whereas the sports of skeleton and bobsleigh, which are themselves always a federation together, luge is a separate federation always, uh, because of the differences in the sports. And bobsleigh skeleton, they recruit you as you're actually older. They recruit a lot of old football players, a lot of ex-sprinters and stuff like this who just are, it's all about really... Uh, just how much power you can generate in a short amount of time, how quick can you start, push a sled. And then in terms of technique, learning how to drive the sled is that 
it just comes with time that you can learn as an older athlete. So yeah, so from, from the RBC training ground, basically got recruited by them, got some private workouts with them. They told me to come out to Calgary, brought me out to Calgary, got on the ice, did some trainings and testings there and, you know, kind of pushed my way through and now now into the game of skeleton. That's amazing, man. It's amazing. You keep, they keep taking stuff away from you and you keep finding new stuff <laughs> gotta, to compete. You gotta always man. find a way, you know. I, it's funny at the same time that in the back of my mind, knowing as a young kid, as a gymnast, I knew like it's a very young athletic career. And I was always hoping like, okay, like, and again, this was like at the age of six. I was like, I'm gonna make it to at least one Olympics as a gymnast, but I want to go to more. Like I want to be like a recurrent, you know, I want to be that Clara Hughes style who's going to go to multiple Olympics in summer and winter. And I, and I thought in my mind, I was like, well, what can I do? And I started looking and it's ironically, I actually thought of Luge as a young kid, kind of a weird full circle. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're all wishing the best for you. Like I appreciate it a lot. You know, for, you. for people that don't really know you, and, and a lot of people who are going to listen to this do know you, they just know you for your positivity and optimism. And I think, I think your story is one of those things where a lot of people just see you as the happy dude who's just saying what up to everybody, dapping everybody up, you know. But, like, your story is so impressive in the sense that you were able to take a terrible circumstance and just and always live your life with light, you know. I remember, I remember when we met to talk the first time. I, I knew you, but we weren't very close at that time, and... And your story just inspired, it was just so inspirational. And I just thought, I'm like, man, this guy needs to come on my podcast and he needs to tell everybody about it because it's, it's really, really impressive. Thank you. So, Thank you for bringing me here. Something we like to do as we end this podcast is ask our guests. There's so many sacrifices you have to make to be an athlete, period. But when you go to McGill, it's like school and athletics and that's pretty much it. So I like to ask athletes, um, what would you be doing if you weren't a student athlete at McGill? How do you think your life would be like? Um, if I wasn't a student athlete, uh, I always have had this huge love for sports. So yeah, yeah it'd be really tough yeah. to like to even imagine it. I think you know one answer would be like, oh, I'd be coaching. But if I were to really like completely take myself away from sports and like, what would I do? Yeah. Um, I did always, even from a young age, like just have this appreciation for life and you know human life, natural life, and I think I'd probably really focus on maybe going into some form of conservation biology, uh, which I study right. in biology. Um, I'd really probably focus more on that and see like, how I could help better the world, help find some conservation efforts to really preserve the natural world. And you know, it's what we have, in, especially in North America, such a blessing to have everything we do. And we take things for granted. You know? And we're very, thank very blessed that our, our stresses are simple things like writing exams and stuff. Like The fact that, that that's our stress is, is great. So I'd really want to give back to find a way that I could be able to give somewhere outside of just our realm and, you know, kind of help conservation efforts and humanitarian efforts across the world. And I think I'd really focus a lot of efforts on that, traveling and, you know, going to see firsthand what's going on in other parts of the world and really trying to do what I can do to help to devote that time that, unfortunately, we can't as athletes because you got to be here. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank appreciate you so much it, for man. having me, man. Anytime. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is brought to you by The Bull and Bear. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find all episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Varsity Voice is produced by Zach Lannis and Mairead Shaw. Until next time, support McGill Athletics.